You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, longtime Marlins writer, and also a prospect writer and analyst. And in this episode, we have a crossover with Locked On Nationals, my buddy Josh Neighbors, probably my favorite guy on the network to do crossovers with for these episodes because we always have such good conversation and just get to the fun and important stuff, talking about both ball clubs. Really, a lot of people have the Marlins and the Nationals somewhat close in the division. We talk about both teams' best case and worst case scenarios where each team may have the edge or leg up on each other and then a little bit on the just outlook of both teams in the future, prospect-wise, player-wise, and how things will look moving forward and for the rest of the division. I thought it was a lot of fun and a much different type of conversation than the last crossover. I wanted to make sure it was a lot different. And it's also a really good primer for one of the Marlins division rivals that could either be really tough or fall apart. And it's going to be interesting to see how things go this year. Before I jump into this interview or crossover episode with Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nationals, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from the chain stores or the car dealerships when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever you need for any car part, any make or model. They have everything on their website, and it is so much easier to navigate and find what you need. rockauto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules, whatever those are, to brake parts, to tail lamps, motor oil, or even a new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably, did I mention, easy to navigate. And quickly, you'll be able to see whatever parts you need for your vehicle. Go over to RockAuto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And let's jump into this crossover episode now with Locked On Nationals. All right, I mean, opening week, man. Like, it's... I mean, I'm psyched. I'm just, I'm glad to have baseball. You uh, are lucky because your team plays in a warm weather place, um, which is really annoying because uh, the Nats and Phillies and a lot of other teams are going to be dealing with like 45 degrees on opening day. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's going to be 45 in DCA. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, what's funny is before it, it used to be kind of awful for them for the Marlins too because it was outside so when you got to the dog days of July those 1 p.m games the giveaways would just be like a hand towel just so you could survive and I wish they gave away a bottle of water too but now with the retractable roof it's it's a huge huge help um but yeah the weather early in the season is always crazy and then right back around to the end of the season always ends up being kind of crazy too so uh, I hope it doesn't have too much of an impact on opening weekend because baseball and cold just never go together well. So I'm staring at my weather app right now, and in D.C. it's projecting 46, a high of 46, a low of 28, 
and oh. the, they have the wind icon next to the uh, the day as if you know it's like a sun or a cloud or they have the wind icon. So the game is going to start at the Nats opener starts at seven oh five. So it'll be at nighttime. So it'll be I would venture a bit colder and it's going to be windy. So that sounds uh, miserable. Yep. So I'm I'm expecting Scherzer and uh, Scherzer and uh, Degrom to get off to very hot starts uh, with these <laughs> two things in mind. I, I want to pick your brain on this. So I did rotation rankings and lineup rankings with Dan Wilson. Uh, and we discussed the Marlins. Now we had them fifth. What's really interesting is this. I saw an article on MLB.com. It said, cause the Marlins and the dark horse for the best rotation in baseball. And it showed the Dodgers rotation and it showed the Marlins. The big discrepancy is experience. Yeah. And the talent is there. Like the Marlins rotation, the talent is 110% there. I don't think anybody's denying that. But the seasoning and the weathering it takes, and it's not like a game experience type thing. It's part of that. But the biggest part for pitchers, and you know this, is going through 162 because throwing is an unnatural motion. And being a major league starting pitcher for 162 games is something that is you could be pitching all your life. It is such a big adjustment. And not, in my opinion, not enough of the Marlins guys have gone through that. So I think it's good for them because the team's not good enough to compete in this division right now. And they're going to get that experience and that weathering this season, which I think is good. But what are your thoughts on that dark horse thing and kind of the experience that they need to get? Yeah, I actually saw that article and it was it was something along the lines of like, um, I forget what the analytical stat was, but it was based on like w- what the output was last season from like Sandy Alcantara, Sixto, Pablo Lopez. It was right on par with, with all those guys on the Dodgers, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. And you know, you bring up a really good point because when we look at the Marlins rotation, it's the youngest in baseball. I mean, it has an average age of 23 years old. Um, and and all of those guys are incredibly projectable, which I love because for so long it was like you had Jose Fernandez at the top, maybe a decent guy at the two spot. And then it was just like, all right, well, actually, let's just get back around to the top of the rotation again. Mm-hmm. Like, let's survive until we get back to one again. Where now for the Marlins, it's like one through five. There's There's something interesting going on. And, you know, that that point you bring up is huge because the Marlins have a ton of talent. I think they're going to be hot out of the gate pitching wise um, with that rotation. But, you know, Sixto Sanchez is on an innings limit this year. I think it's only going to be about 160. Uh, Trevor Rogers has looked phenomenal. He looked good last year. He looked phenomenal in spring training. I think he had the highest strikeout number or right around there for, for all pitchers in baseball in spring training. And he's never really gone that deep into a season. Same story with Pablo Lopez, who's battled some injury concerns. The only guy I'm not really worried about to, to eat innings and get into the 200 range is Sandy Alcantara. And I think Sandy's starting to prove himself as a high-end number two or a low-end ace, quote-unquote, because he's looking like that caliber of pitcher. That's the only guy where I'm like, okay, he can eat 200 innings and, and you're good to go. So it's 100% a concern. I would say the Marlins hedged that a little bit, with the depth that they have as well. Um, Nick Neidert uh, really impressed this uh, spring, and and he was the Marlins minor league pitcher of the year two years ago, battled injuries uh, the last minor league season we had, but a very, very solid back-end type of guy. Edward Cabrera, top 100 prospect. Some believe, I, I think he could be better than Sixto. I really do. And, and he's battled some injuries, but if he's healthy, he'll make his debut this year. So th- there's some guys that come in and, you know, can be uh, fillers, or end up, you know, replacing someone that's struggling. But I think you hit a really good point that the, the real question is how are they going to get going in the dog days with a bunch of young guys who haven't really stretched themselves out that much? And how are the Marlins going to manage that? 
Yeah, it's you know that's kind of one of the challenges here, right? I mean, that's that's what you have to do is manage these guys. And and the problem is is that you know they're going to learn hard and fast in this division, um, especially this season. I think with you know we thought it was competitive last year, and I think with the Nationals and the Phillies and the Mets all missing the playoffs, sense of urgency of winning for those teams all clearly heightened. And I think that was evidenced by their offseason moves. Um, the Marlins are positioned to where like, they're going to have to weather that, right? I mean, they're going to have to go through, you know, the Phillies lineup is, is excellent. Uh, you know, it's, it was a great run producing lineup last year. Obviously the Mets lineup projects to be excellent. Braves, we already know what they got, right? Nationals, you know, they got, you know, we'll see what happens, but they're gonna have to go through that. Right. I mean, they play, you know, all these games against all those teams. And uh, I think, it's going to be a great learning experience. I don't want to be negative. Like they're going to suck. Cause I don't think that's what this is. Right. It's just, this is part of the, this is part of the, the growth process, especially in, in this division. A hundred percent. And I think when you look at the Marlins too, you know, it's been, there's been some really bad teams out there the last few years. And I mean, last year was, was a special year, unique circumstances. But when we, when we go before that, I mean, the Marlins had seasons where they had 16 different outfielders make a start, you know, and it's like this revolving door of guys that are like journeyman quadruple a guys. And right. you can't really have fun watching that. You, you even, if you're going to struggle, you want to be able to say, okay, this guy's part of our future. You know, that's where it's a lot more fun to watch. And I think the Marlins are at that point now where it's like every roster spot matters. It's not like a stopgap, which is really good for the Marlins. I think it's good for baseball, too, because for, for the big time baseball fans, you know, when you're going over to play the Marlins, let's say in the Nationals, you know, beat up on them. At least it's not like, oh, we're beating up on this triple A team. It's like, oh, wow, there's some young, talented kids here. They're fun to watch. I mean, Jazz Chisholm just won the second base job for the Marlins. Like that guy's electric. And, you know, people that just enjoy the game of baseball, I think it's fun to to just watch young players just battle it out. You know, they run hard down to first base. Like, it's just different. You know, they're, they're just hungrier, I think, to a little bit of a degree, and it's fun to watch. Um, it reminds me of, like, the 08-09 Marlins that were flirting with the playoff spot. That was a weaker division at the time, and I think this team, they were, like, in the NL Central. I really think that they would have a chance to at least be competitive down to the final months. Um, because they beat up, I really think the Marlins would beat up on some of those worst teams like the Pirates, even the Cubs and some other teams. Whereas, you know, the NL East, there's not really a day off. And then, you know, they also have to play some teams in the AL East, which sucks too. You got to play the Rays. The right. I think the Red Sox are garbage, but, you know, the, the Blue Jays are good. And that that's a big issue. Um, something else that I think is a really interesting storyline that is a good tie in with the Nationals is that, the Marlins do have that innings limit on Sixto Sanchez, and it's about 160 innings. And we know how good Sixto can be. Um, he's got some growing pains too, but we know how special he can be. And if he's yes. having a great year this year, uh, and the Marlins, let's say, are surprisingly contending for the second wild card spot, it's going to be interesting. I would hate to see a Steven Strasburg type of situation here, where you know you remember where uh, Strasburg hit the innings limit, Nationals were competing, and and it was the biggest story in baseball. Um, that's all I can think about when I think about six though. Obviously it's, it's, it's unlikely that the Marlins are competing that deep into the season, but you never know. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, how do you manage that to make sure well, six you know, is yeah. on it too soon? I think it's an interesting question. Here's the problem though. I'm, I'm not even high on the, the nationals playoff prospects, to be honest. Uh, and so I would tell you that I wouldn't worry about it too much. Because this and this is, you know, and I, I know, you know, I'm, I'm gonna kill for this if, if 
it doesn't come to be true, but there's too many good teams in nationally. I mean, you could argue that four, well, not argue, you could, you could claim four of the best five teams in baseball in the national league, Dodgers, Padres, Mets, Braves. I mean, you have a hard time arguing that those are not four of the best five teams. And then you back it up and say, the Phillies will make the playoffs. That's what make the playoffs. The division's all killer, no filler. And, you know, when you're, like you said, I have to play in the AL East as well. It's just, it's going to wear on you. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical that the Nationals experienced weathered group can make it through that, that season. And if they can't, that's where I, I don't mean to be the Debbie down. I really, I really don't, but it, you know, if, if they can't, how the hell are the Marlins going to do it? Yeah. You know, it, it's definitely a factor. And I think for, for, for the Marlins, I, I do believe and again, it's it's more so I'm just looking at the Marlins as a team in themselves. Right. And you, you, you got to just kind of control the controllable there. Um, yeah, not saying that we'll be entertaining. Like, like there's the thing. If you're going to suck, be entertaining. And I mean entertaining like in the sense of you've got stuff to be hopeful about. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not saying if they suck, it's the lost season. I think this is the great season. This is perfect. The Marlins actually in a good spot. They're, they're in a good spot because it will never be harder than this season. Never be harder. Than it will season. never be harder. And you know what? Like the thing is with the Marlins is – their timelines, like, I really believe next year is where they start to load up. Does that mean that they're going to compete next year? Like, maybe for a wild card spot, but they've already been tied to potentially, you know, some free agents. They just got the new television deal. That's almost triple. Um, we're going to like from 20 million to 55 million. Mm-hmm. They're about to sell naming rights on the stadium, their payroll. They have no committed money. I think it's 15 million next year. So they're going to spend a little bit. I mean, I'm not acting like they're going to go, you know, drop right. a hundred million dollar contract, but for the Marlins, I mean, picking up a few 10, 15 million AAV guys, may, that moves the needle with the young talent they have. So I, I like the way it lines up because you got teams like the nationals that are kind of stuck in the middle right now where they have some aging talent at the top that you got to kind of try and do it now. But then you also have a kind of subpar farm system where it's like, okay, do we load up this system? And you're stuck in the purgatory, which is a very familiar place for the Marlins. Uh, But I think the nationals, if everybody's healthy, they're, they're competing for a playoff spot, but that's a big if same with the Phillies. They're kind of in that weird purgatory. Um, the Braves and the Mets are are all in right now. The Mets farm system is, is largely depleted. Um, the Braves are in a really good spot, but one good team in a division is fine. So, you know, when you look at that, I, I think the Marlins are okay with their timeline kind of fitting 2020, right. and a lot of other teams are going to be in a tough spot and the Marlins can push forward and, and go all in. But the, that's where I, I look at the nationals and I'm like, they made these moves this year where it's like, it, it was just still kind of just purgatory. <laughs> like yeah, I, they I didn't think Josh Bell or Kyle Schwarber, like like two guys that can't well, defense. I, I just I, do, I don't understand like the John Lester. It's like what are you right. trying to do here? What 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 are you going? So for? that so that's a big a big question mark. And you know when you we talk about going for it, the big news we've been talking about is Carter Cuban being sent down. So Carter Cuban being sent down means Stalin Castro goes to third. Stalin Castro at third means Josh Harrison's playing second. No knock on those guys; they're pretty decent players. But you're not going to, like. There, you have a move to be made there. You got to do something else because that's not going to be good enough for you to win. And I understand, you know, it's kind of funny. Like it reminds me of the Washington football team. They've got an amazing defense. It's winning single-handedly winning them games. Go and get a quarterback because they're a quarterback away from being competitive, you know, in, in the entire NFC. They almost won with Heineke. <laughs> right. And, and so it's like you got this defense and the Nationals, you know, I would say they're, you know, I would liken, you know, the, the rotation 
beginning, plus having one Soto and Trey Turner, like you've got cha- those, they've already won a championship with these guys. Those are championship pieces. And Mike Rizzo is good at taking calculated risks, but those calculated risks are usually around, like you've already got some substantial stuff, right? John Lester at this age, that is, that's not a risk. That's just kind of, you're, you're no risk. You're basically just punting and saying, I was about to like blindly yeah. throwing a dart. Well, like you're like, you're like, you're like, he's, we're just trying to see if we can get somebody who is average. And I was surprised as bad as Anibal Sanchez was last year, they didn't go and address that. Yeah. Um, and there's still, you know, like Austin Voth was, was awful. He was involved in the competition for the fifth starting spot. I don't know how you could watch him last year and, and be like, I think that guy should be competing for a starting pitching job. I think it's going to be Joe Ross, but the third base, like you mentioned, you know, like they didn't make enough moves. Now I do. Here's the thing. I know you don't like Josh Bell. But I do think him and Ryan Zerman at first base is just going to be like an awful combination for other teams because Zerman kills lefties and Bell's been so good. Uh, you know, it's, pre- it's pretty good against right-handed pitching, and he's had an awesome spring. And I know, and, it's and you can see the upside there, though. Like yes. at least that's a play where it's like, okay, if Josh Bell recaptures what he was, or right. at least something close to it, there, there's an upside play. There. And they so they need one, they need one of Schwarber or Bell to do that. They need yeah. one of those guys to maximize for them to be competitive. But even if they do get one of those two guys to do it. I don't know if they're better than, or good enough to beat the Braves or good enough to beat the, or compete all season rather. I will say this, and I wonder, I wonder if you agree. If the Nats make the playoffs and everybody's healthy, nobody wants to play them. Because, Absolutely not. Yeah. Because no, they're because not. they're their best players are all still champions. We are world champions. Steve Strasburg, one of the best players, you know, since Madison Bumgarner, you could argue he's the best pitcher in the playoffs that we've seen. Um, and I would, you know, I wouldn't want to play them. The problem is getting there with this old of a team with guys with some injury concerns, that's where I, I'm, I kind of scratch my head and say, oh, I don't know if they can make it. Yeah. I mean, a first round matchup where you got to go through Scherzer, you know, Strasburg and even Corbin, that's miserable. Also, you know, Juan Soto in the playoffs is a type of dude that can single-handedly win you a ball game when you have somebody like Scherzer or Strasburg on the mound. Soto is one of those dudes where it's getting to the point in a big situation I almost that's like bases loaded intentional walk type of guy. Like he's yeah. getting to that level. Oh, oh. and you, the problem is he wants it too. Like he that's he craves that moment. He's and so you cool. can't pitch to him. <laughs> he's so cool. And, and I'll argue like the the one through three in you know the Nationals lineup, like just that top three guys are just a pain in the ass. If Victor Robles can be even just close to what, and I think he's going to have a good year this year. I really do. Um, and, and if Robles is that table setter at the top and you have Soto, you know, just depending on how they're going to order it, but let's say, let's say you got Soto and Trey Turner, whatever the order is of those three guys, that is two of the fastest players in baseball. And one of the just most incredible and probably prolific hitters we're going to see for the next decade right there too. And then, you know, that from the back half, that's the question. I also have my reservations of like, the Nationals might be the worst defensive team in baseball now. Key booms a. Oh, they're like the Wizards. Defender. They're like yeah. the Wizards. They're they're, they're, base, they're literally building the the baseball version of the Wizards. It's in, unbelievable because like Robles is fantastic in center, but Soto like let's. Well, he dipped last year. He wasn't as good last year. Yeah, defensively. I, I think I, I and, and I I know he wasn't good last year, but right. it's so common for these guys, young guys, to take their struggles of the plate out to the field. I think Robles is going to be great. But, like, the poor guy, Robles is going to be running, like, 500 feet, like, in both ways because 
Kyle Schwarber is inept in left. Soto is not good in right. And Robles is going to ha- probably have a range of like legitimately 400 feet where he's going to have to just run and get everything. That sucks. And then you, you got to deal with Starlin Castro at third. I, I don't even know what that's going to look like. Maybe maybe it's easier for him than than second base was with the Marlins, but he was miserable at second. Well, he's got some experience. I think did he play some of the Marlins at third? I believe he played, he played some games there. He, he yeah. wasn't as bad. I, he, maybe he'll be a little bit better there. Josh Bell is one of the worst defensive first basemen in baseball. Um, I, I just you know Josh Harrison, I think will be really good at second. So I don't know that that's a concern too. And people, I feel like that's one of the most overlooked things in baseball. It's just like. Defense matters. Like it really does in ways that you won't be able to see it where like if a ball gets through into the hole that some other guys could have, could have gotten, you know, that's not going to really show up in the stat sheet. Well, I think it gets magnified more this year though, because last year it did right. You're losing games anyway. You know, what's the difference between being down five, two and six, two, you know, you're not really paying as much attention to it. You know what I mean? But now when you're more competitive and, and I know it's a very specific example, but like you bring in these guys who are solo power hitters, right? You know, you're going to be more competitive. You know, that's last year they weren't getting the offense from behind Juan Soto. And these guys who, who can generate some power on their own make you more competitive. So when those games are a bit closer, right, and you're playing a 4-3 game, it, that error is the difference, right? Put an extra guy on base, you know, uh, in the seventh inning is is the difference. Or even earlier in the game, right, you know, putting yourself in a hole because of a, of a, of a mistake you made. I'm totally with you there. That's one thing they have to clean up. But um, – and this is why I'm so I, – I feel like I'm getting – as the season approaches, more and more low on them because, you know, I feel like they've got – they've got great infrastructure, right? No debate about it. But there's so many questions, right? There's so many questions. There is, you know, the question of, will Schwarber and Bell be better, right? Are they going to make a move at third? Their defense is bad. How do they structure the lineup? They haven't even decided that yet. They've had a whole lot of Victor Robles hitting, leading off, and I'm not really sold on that yet. You know, you have, there's so many questions they have to answer, and then you get to the pitching side – the bullpen's injured going into the season. It's supposed to be good, but we don't really know. And then they're starting the back, you know, last two starters are John Lester and, uh, you know, Joe Ross. And look, you look across, the, you know, you say in general, that's good. But in the National League East, you know, Braves and Braves and Mets both have seven starting pitchers. So that is the problem, right? Is that you can't just hold yourself to like a normal standard because that's not your daily competition now. Yeah. And, and what's interesting too is that, there's still some unsigned free agents that I think I would like take over, you know, what the, uh, what the nationals have going on right now. And feed them to me. Let me know. Who do you think? Who you yeah, think? I'll, I'll, I'll have to pull up the list in a second, but like even recently signed, like Michael Franco, I think I'd rather have him at third. I agree. This is a name that I saw earlier. I was like, why not take a flyer on him? And yeah. Because it allows you to put Stalin Castro at second because he's going to play every day. He's a decent hitter. And then just see what happens with Michael Franco at third. That's that's like a top of the top of the list. Like I would think of, I, like Rick Porcello has he even been picked up yet. I, I, I wouldn't think. touch him. He sucks. I'm 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 out on the old guys. I don't like. I really don't like old guys whose numbers are trending in the wrong direction. I know that oh, that's I agree. Yeah. Kind of a reclamation yeah. thing, but like John, like that's why I hated the John Lester. Well, what's weird too is like Will Crow's had a great spring. Like Will Crow would probably be like cemented in that rotation right now. And yeah, and I'm I'm not high on Will Crow, but like he could be a decent like innings eater at the back end. Maybe, I said like to, to Drew Smiley. I thought Drew Smiley was a good acquisition. Yeah, he was expensive though. Yeah. Surprisingly, you know, one year. Yeah, the, the Marlins. The Marlins have some uh, some solid young back end arms. Maybe there's a deal to be made there. Um, but you know that that's what they're gonna have to probably look at. I think they're gonna probably try and feel out these first couple months and then and then see what they're gonna do because you know. 
again, we're talking about like being kind of stuck in the middle, but the Nationals have the talent to be a playoff team if everybody's healthy, which is a big if. But, you know, let's say it starts to come together, then, you know, you got to start looking at maybe adding. And that's where it's like, okay, that means to add, you have to subtract from the farm system. And that's where things get tough again, because it's like, okay, do we further deplete this farm system that's already, you know, not great? Um, I think you do if you're if you're out of the gate, you know, you're you're 20 and 10 or 20 and whatever, like you got to. And right. that's where it's like, okay, where do we address first? And and I think that obviously is dependent on what's going on, but I think the very obvious spot you address is is the back end of the rotation. And and you got to do that like ASAP. Does Carter Keyboom and uh, you know, another prospect or two get you somebody in the back end? Probably. Um, I mean, Keyboom still has value. He's young, he's struggling. Yeah. I, I I would consider it. You know, and I think some people would say, I don't want to sell low, but you also could end up having to sell lower. And I think the Marlins have seen that with Lewis Brinson. I'm not saying Keyboom's Lewis Brinson, but, you know, at some point you, you got to make your decision and say like, okay, how likely is it that this guy's going to pan out or even be what he, what he could be? And maybe you cash in. And I think with the national situation, I think Keyboom is very much a, a trade piece that yeah. makes sense. Well, it, it just, he doesn't, it doesn't fit with the current structure and you and I were talking before we came on you no know, I, I was pretty unsure of any prospects that we called up this year because the nationals you know I've constructed a team of guy you know of guys that, like they depend on right I mean they there's no kind of guy who's obvious to come up and, and help them and they want to win right so there's no you, you can't give Carter Keeboom time he can't be over there sucking you know hitting 212 playing third base every day it's his job to lose but the thing was the, the pressures on the Nats want to win and that's why he's not part of the roster uh, and that, you know, that's ultimately, you know, the situation there. And I'm, I'm with you. I think he could be a good player. Change of scenery would probably do him a lot of good because there's a lot of pressure on that position, especially because the guy who was before him, you know, was obviously such a, uh, you know, I mean, the most integral part, I think you would say, of that lineup for the last few years, especially after Bryce left. Uh, the key, you know, what before Juan Soto came along. And so there was a lot of pressure there. And I think Carter could be a good player. Obviously, as the pedigree, right, the, the the amateur pedigree, as you'd say, I think you're right. I think a change of scenery does a lot of guys good in this sport, and I think he's one of them that just kind of needs a fresh start because this situation has not – it hasn't been managed well. It's not all on him. It's performance and management of it has not been good. And, and you know, he has a high floor of a good defender, you know, can, can make contact, and I, I think there's something there. So I think a team will 100% give up a, a decent middle-of-the-rotation type of arm that – it, you know, for, for Carter Keepum, depending on their personal timeline. But to kind of go off of what you were saying uh, before, I wanted to like talk a little bit about what your outlook was on the Marlins situation in a best case scenario, because I like to play the best case scenario situation. But w- when you look at some of the prospects that could come up, I think there's the Seth Romero pipe dream that, you know, he could be a back end arm or at the very worst a reliever. But somebody that I think maybe Nationals fans, maybe they are, but but might not be totally paying attention to yet. And it would make sense because he was a middle round pick this past or middle round out of the five rounds and uh, not the most exciting guy in the world. But I honestly think he's going to be a future closer. Um, and one of the better closers in baseball is Holden Powell. And Holden Powell is the type of guy that could pitch a few months in the minor leagues and be up into the nationals bullpen this year. And does that move the needle? No, but the nationals, if they could somehow turn into like a super pen uh, where you take some pressure off of the starters and, you know, in those, in those four and five days where you have the Lester's and, you know, whoever else is going to be in the rotation at that point, right. That's where, you know, Lester gives you five innings, three runs. 
and you hand it over to the pen and just, you know, nail it down from there on out, then there's a different situation here for the Nationals. The offense is going to play. It's going to be at least league average or better. So, you know, that that's where I think the bullpen could be a huge, you know, X factor for them. Holden Powell was the best closer in college baseball. I saw this guy like – just weirdly coincidentally, I saw him a lot and um, I saw him as after his freshman summer in the new England collegiate baseball league when, when I was working out there and he was abysmal. Um, you could see the stuff. He was like throwing 96, but just no idea where it was going. Then I followed him into that season, his sophomore season at UCLA. He changed his mechanics and he was just different. He won closer of the year at, at UCLA for the entire country and then uh, he, I got to see him that next summer in the Cape. And he was, again, different. Ended up leaving the Cape to go pitch for Team USA. Um, what it was for him was changing the mechanics and just going to a two-pitch mix. He was initially a starter, moved into the bullpen, the classic, you know, the classic move, a little bit earlier than most do. Fastball-slider combination right now plays in the major leagues. Uh, like it's, it, those are two major league pitches. He could be in a bullpen right now. And, and that would be a huge bonus for the Nationals to have this just big swing-and-miss bullpen arm kind of out of nowhere. And the Nationals drafted him under that presumption. I, I think that's why they took him. How often do you take a closer in the third round? Uh, you know, that's just not – in today's game, you don't really right. do that. But the Nationals looked at it like we're getting we're almost picking up a closer in free agency for like next year. I, I, that's a really how I think they looked at it. And I really do believe that that Powell will be up at some point this year in the major leagues. I talked about this on the my locked on MOB prospect show, and, and I'm going to stick to that. Stick to those guns all year. I'm, I'm waiting on the Holden Powell call up at some point. Yeah, their bullpen. They did a good job constructing it this offseason. The problem is it doesn't appear to be that healthy. Tanner Rainey coming back from injury and then uh, Will Harris said a blood clot removed. And they signed Brad Hand. So they have Brad Hand, Daniel Hudson, Will Harris, Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan's obviously back there. Uh, Wander Swero is weirdly very good, uh, you know, in spring training. And so the the question, I think, is that, you know, what would it take for him to get up, right? Like an injury or two and a pretty good performance from him. But that's very possible. And we saw it last year. It's very possible. And the Nationals – you know, we saw the Phillies last year, right? Great offense, but their bullpen cost them a bunch of games and probably ultimately a playoff spot. And I think it's not not unfair to say at all. So uh, th- that is something that they're looking at. I want to ask you about the prospect side of things to the Nationals, because I really, you know, you know it better than me. I I don't see many guys with the way the roster is constructed and kind of the way Davey Martinez normally trusts veterans. I don't really see a situation where there's some younger guy, I mean, especially in the lineup slash fielding perspective who could come through. Also, I mean, do the Nationals have any fielding prospects? I think they all have pitchers. It's just a, it's just 150 pitchers, right? And yeah, you out. know, I, I think people really are sleeping on on their pitchers in terms of their prospects, like caliber. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of really good upside pitchers. I thought they did a good job the last two drafts with Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli, and I think there's some really Cole Henry. Yeah, all really interesting arms. That doesn't help you right now. You know, the good news is I think the Nationals can trade from their plethora of arms and, you know, not really hurt the system. Like if you were to trade Tim Kate and Matt Cronin or some of those middling guys, you could still get something and get a middle of the rotation type of arm, I think, eventually, even Tyler Dyson. But when I look at the the position players, it, it's a little rough. I mean, I, I don't really know where, where they're going to be able to go. I think Cole Freeman is is a potential, like, hope 
because he's a speedy, speedy defensive first guy. He's 26 years old. He hasn't played above high A. And so you need to see if he can hit. That's going to be the question. But could a guy like Cole Freeman maybe come into the equation and be a solid fourth outfielder? Sure, but that doesn't really help either. So it's really, really tough right now for the Nationals is they just don't have a ton of guys that can make an impact. Maybe you hope for Jake Knoll, another 26-year-old. I think he got a few games up last year, right? Yeah, no, yeah, he did. And and he got some opportunities in the spring as well, but it didn't really pan out for him. Yeah. The Nats have a tough time developing talent, man. I mean, they've done they've done okay. Like Steve Andrew Stevenson's pretty good. Obviously, Victor Robles, you know, some of they developed and uh, you know, Juan uh and and Trey coming up. I don't even know if you can take credit for Juan Soto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you You can take credit for finding him. Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that yeah, that's you know, also, I mean they other teams offered him more money. So, you know, I'm not sure if you read the ESPN story. The other teams offered him more money, and he already agreed with the Nats and, you know, stayed out true to that deal. Thank God he did that. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they've they've been pretty fortunate with with those guys. And, look, the pitching part of it, too, like we've talked about a lot, besides Steven Strasburg, who the hell have they really developed, right? You know, who's, who's been good. And I think the hope is that they can stop just splurging with a ton of cash on, on starters and, you know, get some of these guys up into the majors and, you know, few years of control and actually have them be good, like Rutledge. And, and I, I think they will. I think they. Yeah, did. I do too. Yeah, yeah. I think and, those two guys will. But it doesn't help you now. So nope, yeah, that, that's not at all. That's where it's really interesting. And, and the, the Josh Bell trade is a good example of what you talked about. Like two middle guys, you know, they gave yeah. away. And and look, I know you don't love Josh Bell, but I think the calculated risk portion, right? Low low risk, high reward. And that'll do it for part one here of this crossover episode with Locked On Nationals. Sorry for the somewhat abrupt cut there, but as you could tell, there was a lot of flow to the conversation, and there wasn't really a great time to cut it off. So that was the spot that I found right at the middle part, so that we have equally long episodes for part two. If, As you could tell, we're talking about Josh Bell, we start talking about the offseason acquisitions, which leads us into the DH situation, and that's a very interesting conversation as well, as we talk about how both teams are affected by the lack of DH, Marlins more so, and I give my perspective on that, and we talk about the long-term outlook for both ball clubs, especially with the DH probably in the equation, and a lot more fun conversation that you won't want to miss the rest of the way for part two coming tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed this part one of the crossover. They're always a lot of fun. They seem to do well with the numbers and listening numbers. It seems like a lot of people enjoy it, so I'm glad that it's something we can keep doing. Keep me posted if that's something you want to do, if there's specific hosts that you want to see a crossover with during the season when we do some previews of some series ahead of the three or four game sets that the Marlins will have with some of the division rivals. Let me know. Doesn't necessarily have to be a division rival either. Before I wrap up, also a reminder that this episode was brought to you by betonline.ag. Head over to betonline and use the promo code Locked on, and that's one word locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. That's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. Also brought to you by Built Bar. Check out Built Bar right now. We've got Built Bar madness going on to figure out which flavor is the best. Go to bar underscore built on Twitter to figure out which Built Bar is the best flavor of them all. You can also go to builtbar.com and vote there. If you have not tried a flavor yet, it's a good way to figure out 
which flavor you should try first. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order as well. A lot of big news for the Marlins, and I'm looking forward to talking about it as they finally settle on naming rights for the stadium. It seems like a pretty lucrative deal, and that's something I'm looking forward to talking about. The name of the stadium, however, that's going to take some time to get used to. I just... I'm going to save that for the episode. I'm not going to waste any more time talking about that on this episode, but a pretty wild concept of the name of the Marlins Stadium from even just the grammatical aspect of it too. So that will be a fun episode and I'm looking forward to diving into the dollars and cents of that deal as well. Also, I am in the middle of a heated battle with my buddy Danny Alvarez for the Marlins Twitter best account type of thing that's going on. It's basically a March Madness for the best Marlins Twitter account uh, that is being hosted by Fish on the Farm, which is a great account also on Twitter. It's all things Miami Marlins for their farm system. And thanks to a lot of you guys, I actually pulled off the upset victory over Jessica Blaylock by the skin of my teeth. And I am down quite a bit to my man Danny, but that's one of those where you just tip the cap. It's like a 3-2 curveball on the back door that gets us a corner, and you're just like, eh, you know, you just he was just better than me. And Danny Alvarez is going to be tough to beat, and uh, that's one of those where I won't be too upset. But I'll take whatever help I can get, as I just don't want to get blown out. You know, nobody likes to get blown out. But anyways, thank you for the help to get me out of that first round, and at least we pulled off that first round victory, and we'll see how it goes in the round of 32. I think there's another, like, 16 hours of voting as I'm recording this at 10.30 p.m. March 30th, which is a Tuesday. And yeah, I mean, if you got time to cast that vote, much appreciated. If not, honestly, I'll survive without winning a uh, Twitter contest. But it is cool to even just see the consideration. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow and the rest of this season. We are getting so close to opening day.